BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today is the second part of a two-part episode. Last week, we talked about what to do when behavior feels so aggressive and extreme that nothing seems to help and how to respond to aggressive behaviors when you're at your wit's end. And today we're going to continue that conversation, but we're going to focus on ways to prepare kids who have extra big feelings when they are not in the heat of the moment. So parents who have big reactor kids what you can do to help support and prepare your kids for those moments when things are really extra challenging. I got so much feedback from everyone about this conversation and it's a really hard one. It's so dependent on individual context, on developmental trajectories, on personalities, temperament, the fit between parents and kids and their temperaments and unique circumstances that we couldn't possibly cover. On the other hand, this is why it's hard for people to have this conversation in this kind of setting. And I want to be able to deliver that service to you. So keep reaching out. My DM is at Raising Good Humans podcast. I love hearing from you. We can have more follow-ups. And in general, even if you didn't listen to the first episode, this episode can be really helpful for thinking about setting your kids up to have an easier time over time with their reactivity in the heat of the moment by doing things outside of the heat of the moment to support them and build those skills. My guest again is Claire Lerner and big news coming up very soon. Apple is going to have a subscription exclusive content membership that you can join. And we're going to start the first season is all mini episodes on the foundation of discipline. I think we've addressed how to respond in those moments in a different kind of way, or just how to shift the mindset. But let's also address for children who have this kind of nervous system response what are some ways not in the heat of the moment that we can help prepare them to stretch those muscles a little bit and exercise those muscles over many years of time? So the 23-month-old is not going to be doing mindfulness exercises every day and then feel great in a few weeks and have a totally new nervous system. But in general, 
what are some ways in the not heat of the moment? You gave one example of the conversation, which I think is wonderful to talk about for the kids who are sort of three and older, plus side of having such a passionate way of being. But what are some other ways to set the soil up for the best growth for that particular kind of child? So I think, you know, starting with the younger kids, it's going to be very immediate, right? It's going to be, it's not going to be conversations as we talked about. It's going to be, I find more giving them a healthy, safe way to express whatever it is they need to express, right? So I do a lot of school observations. I'm in preschools a lot of the week. And for example, I'm watching a kid who is about two and a half, and I can see that he's not directed on anything and he's getting very worked up. And I see another little kid on the playground and he's like a total target. And this little boy just literally runs up to him and just like pushes him down. And it's so clear that this little guy is looking for some sensory input for some engagement. And this is the way he's pursuing it, which is of course not acceptable and unsafe. And so with that child, what we're doing is, oh, we don't push people. We have at the ready all sorts of things that he can push safely. We have push toys now on the playground. I may even just go up to him and say, let's push on the fence 20 times as hard as we can. Like we're basically saying over and over, we can't push people. We can't bite people. We can't throw things at people. This is what we can do. We can take this basket and these toys and you can throw these in the basket. If you need to throw something, throwing is awesome. It's not at people. It's in the safe space. So like for the younger kids, what I suggest and find most helpful is to tune into what are they trying to accomplish? Like, again, you have to suspend judgment and say, what is the need this child is trying to fulfill and how can I help him do that? And you do that over and over and over. And I find with those kids, if you take a non-shaming, non-punitive approach and you give them substitute ways to meet that need, that can be very helpful. So with those families, we develop all sorts of toolkits and things so that the parents immediately can do something to implement that plan with the younger kids, right? You're not having these long reflective discussions. I think as kids get older and, you know, we know that kids between two and a half and three are developing, you know, a sense of cause and effect, right? That's why they start asking why all the time, because they're actually understanding that there's a reason for things and they can put two and two together. So they understand more like if I do, this is what happens, right? So they can understand natural consequences. So what I find with those kids is doing things like on the playground, we need to keep other, we need to keep you and everybody safe. Throwing mulch feels uncomfortable to our friends. So either you keep the mulch on the ground and I can give you a digging thing. I can help you play with it. But if you're having trouble with that, I'm going to help you move to another space. So like those kids over time, begin. if you do it very matter-of-factly, they ultimately see that like that's not what I want. Like, I don't want to have to play over here. I want to play in the mulch. And so they're much better able to ultimately make a good decision about that. So that's the age when I start suggesting to parents that you just do natural consequences that make sense in the real world. Like you can't be with other people if your body is acting before your brain, because 
what I say to the kids or suggest parents say to children is like, it's not just uncomfortable for the other person. It's not good for you. Like you're a really good kid and we want people to have really good feelings about you. And when you throw sand in their face or you keep knocking down their towers, that makes them uncomfortable. And they really want to be your friend. So I'm going to be your helper. If you can share the magnetiles, awesome. Then you can stay in the magnetile. You can keep playing with your friend. If you're having a hard time not knocking down other people's towers, then we'll help you make a tower over here that you can knock down. So like over time, it's very much a teaching approach, right? You're helping them see the consequences of their action. You're never letting a child, this is again, like not permissive parenting where you're just letting kids you know, do what they need to do to shake their sillies out, but you're not shaming them. You're not shaming them. You're not equating them with their behavior. As your child is developing cognitively, by the time I find in reality, maybe between three and a half and four, kids are able to reflect enough to be able to plan and start to problem solve. But you have to be prepared for anything. So like you may have the most amazing conversation with your child about all the great things he can do when he's feeling angry or frustrated. And in the heat of the moment, his downstairs brain completely takes over and you're back in red zone. So it's really important to have like a range of strategies in your mind that so that you're prepared for anything because at the end of the day, the most important thing is to help you stay in control and regulated. So if you don't have a plan for doing that, that's when things go off the rails, right? And so the way this might look in real life is you say to your child, okay, today we're going to Target. And this is a just a food day. We're only getting food today. This is not a day we're getting any toys or other special items. And the parent does the most awesome job, right? They're like, I know that's really hard. It's really hard to see all the fun toys there and that it might be really disappointing. What would you like to bring from home that you can play with? Like they do like a yeoman's job of preparation, right? that they've learned to do from the vast amount of content there is out there about helping children prepare and manage disappointment. And it's all good. And your child's like totally with the program. Yes, mommy, I'm going to bring this toy. And I know I can't get a unicorn today. And you walk into Target, you're walk down the aisle and everything goes out the window and your child is screaming and begging for this unicorn. The parent is trying to hold the limit and the child starts to hit and kick and run away and do all sorts of things that kids do when they are now operating from their fight, flight, angry, frustrated mode. And as much as you've prepared them in the heat of the moment, tolerating that disappointment is more than they can handle. That's what, right? That's the expectation gap, right? That like, he's three and a half or four. He should be able to deal with the fact that he can't always get something at Target. That's the kind of thinking we have to move away from because yes, in theory, that is true. And your child did say he was going to be fine with not getting that unicorn. But when push came to shove, 
in that moment, in the face of the unicorn, in the aisle, he could not manage that, right? So in that moment is when you still want, you need another strategy because all the preparation did not pan out exactly the way you hoped and expected. So now you're saying, I know, you're so upset, your whole mind and body is out of control. I'm going to help you be safe. I'm going to put you into the cart. Like you have to, especially when you're outside the home, I strongly recommend to parents with big reactors that they have a plan in place in advance that enables them to stay in charge wherever they are. So in this case, it may be, I'm going to put you in the cart and it may be that you say, we're going to leave now because this is too hard. And you know that you're going to go back another time to do what you need to do. Because if literally your child is big enough to start climbing out and they, you're not able to get them into control, that's when you want to cut your losses because Mm -hmm. screaming and yelling and begging your out of control child to simmer down and to start, you know, spewing all of those threats, you know, you're not going to ever get a toy again for the next year. If you don't sit down right now, it's fallen on deaf ears. The child's increasing their dysregulation, that's the time to say, okay, I'm going to help us all calm. I'm going to get you into the car. It may feel uncomfortable. He may be kicking and screaming, but I need to help you. And this is how I'm going to do that. Like that's what it might look like in real life. Right. And yeah. And if you plan for that and you know, okay, even my wise adult self has had moments of saying that I'm going into this store, this is my plan, or I'm going to this party, this is my plan. We all know that we make plans. And then we all know from January 1st, (laughs) we make plans and we have thought it through and we have our problem solving hat on. And then they just don't happen the way we wish our self-control goes out the window. You can't rely on the best laid plans. You can make the best laid plans. We recommend doing that because you want to have you know, we're all hopefully thinking that each time is a new opportunity for it to go better. And also it's not like that for even the adult brain. We don't always enter into a situation and behave and feel physiologically the way we had intended, even with the best preparation and the best intentions. So if you go in with that awareness and have a plan of action, like you said, okay, we're going to leave. Then the leaving isn't, you know what? We're leaving. I'm never bringing you back here again. And it's not, you know, you ruin this fun day. It's just- Or you're spoiled. It's never enough. Right. You're much more prepared to say, this was our plan. If this was too hard on your body and too hard to be here, we'll try another time. And- The other thing that's important that you mentioned is it may not be comfortable. And that's where it comes full circle, our conversation, because it's all about expectation. Like if you think that's wrong, like having to leave Target or having a screaming child means that there's something really wrong with him, you're going to be very triggered and very reactive and say those things like, you know, your brother doesn't do that or your friends don't do that and it's never enough. But if you've recalibrated and you've said to yourself, in the heat of the moment, when that downstairs brain comes on board, it's not purposeful. He's just in a moment where he can't cope 
with whatever the expectation is. In this case, my expectation is you're going to be able to manage not getting this unicorn. But the fact is that in that moment, he's not able to do it. He's not a bad kid. He's not manipulative. And he just needs to be removed in order to get calm, to take away the triggering stimulus, and that that's the victory. What I say to parents all the time is don't judge the value of your actions and your limits and boundaries based on your child's reaction. He's not going to say, thank you so much, mommy, for calmly taking me out of target because it was too difficult a situation for me. He's still going to be screaming in the car for the unicorn. And your job is to just stay calm and say one time, not 50 times, like saying something 50 times does not make you more empathetic. Like one time, it's really hard not to be able to get something you really want. I'm going to help us go home and get calm. That's all he needs is I'm your person. I see you. I'm not mad. I'm not judging you, but I am going to help you move through a difficult situation. And I will say that not always, but if you do that every time, so now they go back to Target a month later and this mom says to her son, but remember, this is just a food shopping trip. And she does all the great preparation, makes lists of all the foods they're going to buy and makes a game of him identifying them, like all that great stuff to preempt it. Now, the next time this child has lived experience of what his mom is going to do in that situation, he can trust her. So she prepares him, they get there, and he now knows, like, if you're having a hard time in Target behaving the way that is comfortable in a public setting, then we're going to go home. He, there's a greater chance that he is going to be able to take advantage of all the great preparation work because he's now three and a half or four. He's able to anticipate. He has lived experience. And if you do that over and over, it makes it much more likely that he will eventually go to Target, manage not being able to get the unicorn, and be able to take advantage of the fun game the mom was going to play in choosing the different foods on their list and have a very successful regulated trip to Target. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsor, Haya. Typically, children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. Haya fills the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, it's allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, anything you could possibly be worried about, it's free of. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. And not for nothing, the first bottle that comes with Haya that you can use to refill every month comes with lots of fun stickers that you can decorate so we could decorate our bottles and make a little bit of fun out of all of it. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order 
To claim this deal, you have to go to hiahealth.com slash humans. This is not available on a regular website, so you have to go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash humans, receive 50% off your first order, and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. The gift in that experience, whether it goes well or as we hope, or it ends with what we perceive as a failure, which is we have to leave Target because my child got aggressive and aroused and all that stuff. The real success is also that your child sees that you can, there's nothing wrong with them. You're not, because when we start to freak out about their freaking out, it tells them that there's something wrong with them. And it's really like, okay, you weren't ready for this. We can keep practicing. This is not throwing me. I'm still here and I love you and we'll just do this another time. It becomes less of a big deal to us, which gives them more room to feel less like they failed. So then on top of their dysregulated state, they also have to think about, or rather, so on top of their dysregulated state, they don't have to worry about what's wrong with them. Yeah. And it's so, it's such an important point that you are in that moment, like going, I think having that perception and that mindset prevents what is really detrimental, which is the shaming, what's wrong with you, you're mortifying me in public. Instead, you're saying, I'm your person, I get you. And sometimes leaving, like leaving isn't a punishment. Yeah. Leaving is a strategy Taking care of your needs. Exactly. And you shouldn't be able to handle that. Like that's the other mind shift is that like, I think a lot of parents feel like I should have been able to calm my child in that situation. And I think like sometimes maybe that will be able to happen, but I think you also have to be kinder to yourself and know that that's a really hard thing. And it's not a failure that you weren't able to help your child get back to calm. The success is recognizing where you're at, where he's at, and cutting your losses and getting back, getting both of you back to a regulated state. That's the gift. And in doing it that way, you are doing exactly what you're saying, which is saying to him, you're a good kid. And I, there is nothing wrong with you. And I see you. And I like, we think about, right? Like kids, kids being seen, kids being validated. That's what that looks like in that moment. There's still so much to say. (laughs) There always is. What is also so beautiful about kids who get this hyper arousal I guess we can call it, if that sounds better than just, you know, thinking of your child as a spinning head who's super aggressive. But what's beautiful about that is the idea that they are getting their needs met and their body is adaptive. They're just adaptive in a way that's not working 
in society as we need it to work. So they just need to be redirected and supported to be able to get their needs met. And like you said, that's finding alternative ways to get those big physical feelings out, to get their spit out, to get their bite out, to get their hitting out, not on a human person, and to be able to stay safe in their bodies while still being allowed to feel. And I don't think, you know, I find it interesting with all of the things that are perceived as bad behavior. I think those kids are very smart and they're getting their needs met. And it's just a matter of helping them get their needs met in a way that's not so maladaptive that it ends up backfiring for them. There's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of adding stress that leads to that point of, you know, when they start to, to fall apart. And so the bigger reaction and the more punitive and high arousal reaction on the part of the parent only increases it for those kids. So I think the question is really supporting parents in like suspending judgment of what the right way is and really tuning into when my child is in that space, what does he really need from me? Not necessarily what does he want from me because often what they want is not what they need. And so you really want to, in a quiet moment, take a step back and say, what actually helps him get regulated and what helps me get regulated? It's much better to say, ooh, I'm in red zone. I'm going to go into my bedroom for a minute to calm myself down so I can come back and be a better helper. Like these are all, like we could talk about this forever. I know these conversations, like I call them the yes buts, right? Like it sometimes raises more questions (laughs) than it answers. And there's so much more to say, but I think both you and I do a lot of writing about this. You do a ton of those really helpful videos that have, I think, supply a lot of really powerful tools, like in the moment tools. Like we didn't get to talking about a lot of the calming tools. I have lots of articles on my website and content in my book, a whole chapter on physical aggression that reflects a lot of this. So, you know, maybe we'll have future conversations, but I do think we really covered some very important, like, ahas to me that actually, it's why I love this work after 35 years, I'm literally turning 60 in 10 days and I've been doing this my whole life. And so I still am learning. Like a lot of these insights have come as I've gotten into the weeds with families and really seeing when theory and practice are at odds and parents, some of the stress they have is because the messages they're getting are not only not jiving with their reality, but increasing their stress because it makes them feel like there's something wrong with me or my child. And I think we're starting a conversation about how you really trust what you know about your child and know that what looks like safety and connection is not one thing and is very dependent on what makes you tick and on what makes your child tick and you taking a time out yourself to calm yourself as opposed to losing it with your child is a way more loving intervention than staying in a heated moment where you're saying and doing things 
that are eroding your relationship and your and only you sense just feel awful. Exactly. And then you, just, you just sit in shame and then you focus on repair, which is so important, but then it's just this cycle and we have to give ourselves a break and say like, there are moments, right. Where the best, most loving thing to do is for me to get out of here for a second. And, you know, I pictured the cartoon characters from back in the day that kind of, I, I think it was an animation issue, but they would fight and the way, you know, they would cycle and almost disappear as, you know, and you would just see black circles. <laughs> yeah, I know and exactly I what you're talking about. That feels like what ends up happening in our desperate attempt to stay present and connected. It just becomes this dance of just who's going to arouse who more to the point where everybody's head's exploding. Right. And those are just those moments. And I just, I want to keep having these conversations. I want to accept that some people are not going to like this particular one, but I also just want people to remember you're, it's not your lived experience. And if you don't know what it's like to have a child for whom all of the more typical connecting and supporting and reframing and redirecting and all of the things that we can do and labeling. And there's just so much that just doesn't translate. Mm -hmm. And we have to have some space for other conversations. Otherwise, it just basically it puts parents in a position of being like, I guess I'll just silently start screaming at my kid because I give up. Yeah. And I think it's also to have compassion for those parents whose kids are not their kids and for whom those strategies, those calming strategies that are working for them are not working for these parents. And they come by it honestly, and it's not something they created and it's not something their child chose. Like, I think that's really important because these parents live with an incredible sense of judgment and shame themselves especially when these things happen in public. And so I feel like, at least from the world I live in with the families I work with, this is a huge contribution and very important validation for them. And it's, there's so much more to say and maybe, you know, we'll have those future conversations, which I really always look forward to. Well, you know what we can do is if people, if this sparks questions or scenarios, people can DM me and we can have another conversation yeah. and work with these specific scenarios that really call for a different kind of response and or more creative kind of response or a more flexible kind of response. And you mentioned something that we all that resonates with all of us and we can close on that note, but that public parenting can really set everybody off. So I have so much compassion for parents where they're like, this is humiliating. Or in some cases, people are being downright nasty to you because of how your child is responding. And then your impulse may be to show everybody else that you're responding by punishing or by doing something very right. dramatic. And really, you just have to raise these kids and nobody else.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.